progress. All right, welcome. A formal welcome to Daily Power Parsha, Friday, October 15th. This is the Torah portion of Lech Lecha. You're going to love today's discussion because we are doing the second half of the sixth reading. We're going to do the seventh reading and we're going to do the Haftorah all in one shot, in one segment. So let's get ready to rumble. Um, and what I mean by rumble is let's get ready to learn. I'm pulling up my screen momentarily. And let's do this. Share this guy. Boom. Reading six. We are up to chapter number 16. Hashem, if you recall from yesterday, Hashem, God, had promised Avram the land and children. Hashem, Avram said to Hashem, I am so concerned. I don't have reward. What's going to happen? You know, Hashem says, no, you'll get, you, still, you still have reward. But what's the point of reward? I don't have any children. You'll have children. You'll have a land. You'll have children. The children will inherit the land. It's all good. All right, he believed. And Hashem, Hashem considered that to be a, uh, a good thing that he believed. Okay. Um, we also read about the covenant, right? The covenant of the parts, the Brisbane of Sarim. And one second, let me just check something out here. Uno momento. I'm sure everybody's in yet. Okay, so... The covenant of the parts is where Hashem and Avram make this, make this covenant together. Hey, Elio, welcome. And uh, they split the animals, and Hashem tells, tells Avram, uh, Abraham about the, uh, the eventual exile. And we asked yesterday, why the exile at a time of love? Why are you mentioning something negative? It's a positive that comes through negative. We had a whole conversation about that. Okay. But now we get to the fulfillment of Avram having a child. And it's going to happen in, as you know, it's going to happen in an unusual fashion. Genesis chapter 16, verse number 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, Avram's wife, had not born to him, and she had an Egyptian handmaid named Hagar. Now, you might say Hagar, I don't know. In Hebrew, it's Hagar, so I'm just going to go Hagar, and it, it could, I could fit that into the spelling here as well. So Hagar it is. And Sarai said to Avram, Behold, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing. In other words, the wife says to the husband, for whatever reason, Hashem does not allow me to have a child. Please come to my handmaid. That's a reference to intimacy. Perhaps I will be built up from her. Built up from her means she'll have a kid. It will be like my kid. She will be a surrogate. Are you with me on this? Like a surrogate situation. She'll, she'll have the kid, but it'll be mine. And So what does Avram do? Avram hearkened to, her, to, Sarah, to Sarah's, Sarai's voice. He listened to her. He said, okay, you want me to do this? I'll do this. So Sarai, Avram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian. By the way, who was Hagar? The Egyptian. You know who she was? It's Pharaoh's daughter. Yes, Pharaoh's daughter. Yes. Pharaoh's daughter. When, when, remember when Avram and Sarai went, went down to Egypt because of the famine and that whole fiasco? Well, um, Pharaoh's daughter was around and he, she saw this couple and she was so impressed by their spirituality. She said, I'm going to leave my family. I'm going to leave the palace. I'm going to leave royalty and just be a handmaid to Sarai. I just want to be around them. They're so special. They're so holy. I just want to be around. I'm going to leave everything. My family, royalty, the, the pharaohs, right, the, the palace, I'm going to leave Egypt to be around them, even though I'll be a handmaid. I'll, be a, I'll rather be a maid to Sarah and Avram than be a princess in Egypt. Are you with me on this? So Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her handmaid, at the end of 10 years of Avram's dwelling in the land of Canaan, and she gave her to Avram, her husband, for a wife. By the way, the idea of 10 years... That becomes valid grounds for, for a divorce or to, to try to figure out another plan, to have children, whatever. Not saying you have to, but it's a, it's, a, it's a segment that we've talked about before in the classes. It's a segment. Where does it come from? It comes from right here. The Torah tells us it was after 10 years of living in Canaan and not having a child that she then made this move to take Hagar the Egyptian and gave it to her husband. Gave, not it, her, to her husband. And, yeah, that's what happened. He came to Hagar, and she conceived. And she saw that she was pregnant. Hagar saw, realized that she was pregnant. And her mistress, Sarai, became unimportant in her eyes. 
She said, look, I thought that Sarai was so righteous and so holy. She didn't have, she didn't, she wasn't able to conceive. I'm, I'm with, I'm with Avram once. She was with him once. One, one night with Avram and already I'm pregnant. So she started looking differently at Sarai. Maybe she's not so righteous. Maybe she's not so holy. Why else wouldn't God have blessed her? Now, obviously, this calculation is not correct because we don't know God's ways. I'm not saying this is an accurate thought process. I'm just telling you what her thought process was, what Hagar said. Hagar said to herself, look, I got pregnant right away, so the fault must be with you. You must not be righteous. Maybe Hashem knows something about you that we don't know. She judged Sarai. So, and Sarai knew this. Sarai said to Avram, may my injustice be upon you. In other words, this is all your fault. I gave my hand, now obviously it was her idea, but she's upset. My, may my injustice be upon you. My embarrassment is your fault. I gave my handmaid into your bosom and she saw that she had become pregnant and I became unimportant in her eyes. May the Lord judge. This is powerful. This is a strong line. May the Lord judge between me and you. That's, 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 strong. that's a strong line that she says to her husband. She says, the energy that I get from this is that she's almost blaming Avram for the outcome here. And again, one could argue, say, hey, listen, it was your idea. You're blaming Avram for the outcome. He just went along with your idea. Nonetheless, she's upset. She's upset. Avram, the good husband, realizes what's going on. He says, listen, I hear you. What, what do you want to do about this? Right? I'm not, listen, I don't want to do something else that's wrong. So you tell me, what do I need to do? Avram said to Sarai, verse 6, here is your handmaid in your hand. Do to her that which is proper in your eyes. Listen, do whatever you want. Here's Hagar. Whatever you want to do, do. I understand that this didn't turn out the way you want. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting because she did get pregnant and she wanted her to get pregnant. Like, Sarai wanted Hagar to get pregnant and to have a child. That would be hers. That would be Sarai's. And she gets pregnant. But in the pregnancy already, Hagar is like looking at Sarai differently. So Sarai doesn't like it. So she says to Avram, I don't like it. He says, okay, so what do you want to do? So this is what happened. And Sarai afflicted her, and she fled from before her. So basically, Sarai made Hagar's life difficult. And Hagar ran away. She said, I can't take it anymore. Um, yeah. Okay. You could learn this story and say jealousy and, and, and um, abuse and, you know, you could, you could come up with all these words that painted, you know, and Sarah, paint Sarai and, and the whole story in a very negative light. And I, I can't argue that that's how the story appears. There are deeper ways to understand the story, mystical ways. Kabbalah explains different parts of the soul, the animal soul, the godly soul, and how to deal with different elements here in, in this conversation. But on a simple level... This is what's going on. Sarai comes up with the idea that Hagar should be the surrogate mom. She gets, Hagar does, they go ahead with it. She gets pregnant. She starts looking differently at Sarai. Sarai sees that. She doesn't like it. And she drives her away. Verse 7. And an angel of the Lord found her, found Hagar by a water fountain in the desert. I'm sure it's not one of those plug-in water fountains that you like hit the button and Try to, get, try to get in there. Um, by a fountain of water, by some sort of spring or whatever it is in the desert. By the fountain, sorry? Wasn't it a well? The, not, not this time, not this time. There okay. was another, yeah. There's another incident where she goes with Ishmael, her son, and they also are, yes, are yes. but that's a second story. She was sent away twice. This is the first time. Yeah, it's a complicated story. This is the first time she was sent away. This time alone and pregnant. So... <clears throat> She um, was, so an, an angel of the Lord found her by the water fountain, by the fountain on the road to shore. And he said, the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where are you coming from and where are you going? 
And she said to the angel from before Sarai, my mistress, I am fleeing. I'm running away from Sarai. She's driving me nuts. She's, she's, she's not treating me nicely. I'm, I ran away. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and allow yourself to be afflicted under her hands. That's what the angel says. Go back and deal with it. Go back and deal with it. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your seed. In other words, do this and it's going to be good for you. I'll greatly multiply your seed and it will be not counted and it will not be counted for abundance. We'll see Rashi what that means. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you will conceive and bear a son. And you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your affliction. Ishmael is like Shema. If you could see the Hebrew, the center of the word Ishmael is Shema. Oh, even in the English it works. Shema. Shema. Shema means listen. Hero is or listen. Because the Lord has heard, has listened to your pain. So Hashem loves you, He'll bless you. You'll have a lot of progeny. Name your son Ishmael. And he will be a wild donkey of a man. Ishmael will be a wild, a wild guy. His hand will be upon all and everyone's hand will, will be upon him. In other words, he's going to be, he's going to be a brawler. He's going to be a, 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 a Lebedic Amensh, a very lively action situation. And before all his brothers, he will dwell. And she called the name of the Lord who had spoken to her, you are the God of seeing. Because she said, have I seen him here also after I've seen in other words, she was shocked that she saw an angel of God and com that communicated with the angel, communicated with her. She'd seen, uh, she'd seen divine stuff by Abraham, by Avram and Sarai. But on her own, out in the middle of the desert, she was shocked. I've seen, uh, once again, God or an angel of God, etc. Therefore, the, the well. Oh, it was a well. I'm sorry, Ray. It was a well. The spring was a well. You're right. Therefore, the well was called Be'er Lachai Ro'i. Be'er lachai ro'i. Ro'i means vision. It's the well of vision. Behold, it is between Kadesh and between Bered. That's where it is. And Hagar bore a son to Avram. And Avram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. As the, as the angel had predicted, the name was Ishmael. And Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Avram. He was a very um, wizened, wizened, uh, and, and, uh, relatively elderly man, 86, although back then maybe he wasn't as old because they lived much longer. He lived to 100, 175 after all, so 86 years old, um, not even halfway through. Um, yeah, he was 86 years old when, when uh, Hagar had um, Ishmael. Okay, let's go back to the story. And I want to point out some, some interesting factoids. Number one, I know, I get it, I said it before, the story doesn't look good for Sarai. It doesn't look good. It looks like she, you know, she, she made this, this plan, she plotted this thing, and then it, she doesn't like it, so then she complains, and then she sends away her, she makes the, the life of her handmaid difficult, but, and it seems like she's the, the aggressor in this. Okay, fine. But understand that, that Hagar had looked at Sarai in a negative way. She had, begin she had begun to judge her. So who really, where did this really begin? So that's something to think about. Now, the next thing is, our sages tell us that because of the negative behavior and the negative, the evil eye that Sarah had for the Hagar, Hagar actually lost her pregnancy. <clears throat> Which is why the angel says, Behold, you will conceive. Did you notice that? The angel yes. says, Behold, you will conceive. Uh, my understanding was that she already conceived. Verse 4, she conceived from Avram. So what does it mean that the angel says, Behold, you will conceive? It means because she had lost that pregnancy. The angel was saying, You're going to get pregnant again. And this time, you're going to have Ishmael. Does that make sense, what I just said? Yes? Sort of? All right. Either way, that's, uh, that's what our sages say. How do I know this? Because I, uh, I've learned Rashi once or twice. And that's what Rashi says, quoting our sages. So let's, uh, let's look at this. Let's look at this. Um, okay, first of all, she conceived, Rashi says, from the first union. From their first intimate, from, from their first intimate encounter, she got pregnant. 
And she became unimportant in Hagar's eyes. As I told you before, this is the source of it, right? This Sarai, her conduct in secret is not like her conduct in public. She shows herself as, as if she's a righteous woman, but she's not righteous. For she did not merit to conceive all these years, whereas I have conceived from the first union. So she said, obviously Sarai is, uh, has, uh, you know, is, not, is not righteous. So that was where she, Hagar, went wrong. Hagar went, got judgy. We don't know why God gives blessings, certain blessings to certain people and withholds blessing, certain blessings from certain people. We don't, we don't know God's calculations. We don't, can't play God. So to say that I, if somebody is not blessed in a certain area, then it must be because they're a bad person, that makes us the bad person for judging. So Hagar went in a negative direction by judging. Once she judged, Sarai felt like she can't do anything with this. She can't do, how do you, how do you deal with somebody in your house that's judging you and looking at you horribly? Yeah, I, I, got, I, got, I, got, I got to push you out. All right. Let's continue. Um, behold, you will... Yeah. Sleah the matriarch had a hard time getting pregnant. Correct. And wasn't it because... Hashem wanted them to pray, to pray more. It's, it does say that. It says, it says that in, in one of the sources, it says that Hashem loves the prayers of the righteous so that he withholds some blessings so that they'll pray because he, lo- he likes the prayers. Although that sounds like a little bit of a, doesn't paint, I don't think it paints God in a nice, uh, a nice way because God likes prayers so he's going to make a person suffer. I, yeah, it says that, but we have to understand on a deeper level what, what exactly that means. Um, but I want to tell you this, what Rashi says here, behold, you will conceive, Rashi clarifies, and this is where I got it from, right? When you return, you will conceive. That is, when you go back home, you'll be again with, with Avram and you will then conceive. So what happened to her previous conception? She lost the child. So she, she lost the, ch- the first pregnancy, but the angel saying, you will once again become pregnant. Um, okay. He'll be like a wild donkey of a man who loves the wilderness to hunt beasts. He was an archer, dwelt in the desert. Okay. He'll be a bandit. Everyone will hate him and attack him. He'll have a lot of children. Okay. By the way, Avram calls him Ishmael. Did he know that the angel said to call him Ishmael? Although, Rashi says, although Avram had not heard the words of the angel who said, and you shall name him Ishmael, the Holy Spirit rested upon him and he called him Ishmael. In other words, Avram didn't have that direct direct communication, but he had, he was influenced by some sort of spirit without even knowing, and he called him Ishmael, and that had been the name that was foretold for him by the angel. And our tradition tells us that this is true of every person, every par- all parents that name their children, even if they don't realize it is a form of prophecy, it's the right name for the child. All right, let's continue. And Avram, okay, so now we get to the final chapter of our story. Of our, oh, hold on, hold on one second, time out. I'm, st- I'm timing out myself. All right, before we go forward, let me check in on this story. The story makes sense? Yes? Slightly, a little bit troubling, a little bit like, uh, okay. All right, but hopefully I've explained it enough. Sarai felt like she can't be in a house where she's uncomfortable. She's the wife, and meanwhile, she can't, uh, she can't feel comfortable. It's, so she felt the only way is to drive her out. So instead of firing her and saying, you have to leave, she just made it a little bit uncomfortable off on her end, and, and Hagar left, and the angel said, look, she's the wife, you're the maidservant, go back and accept your position, and that's it. So that's what happens. And she gives birth to a son, Ishmael. So Avram now has a, has a child. Remember, he was asking God for a child. He has a child. Not from his wife, though. From her handmaid. From Hagar, not from Sarai. That's where we're holding. Rabbi? Yeah. Rabbi? So at the beginning, where that phrase that Sarai says she wants to be built up. Yes. So I read the Rashi on that, and that says, then, meaning, because at the... She didn't have a child, so she was said demolished. Meaning, but the Torah does not obligate the woman to even become pregnant because of her, you know, bodily integrity. 
Give me one second. Whoever's no shul is not built up, but demolished. All right. I mean, yeah, that's that's. I, I, it's lost in translation. Demolished. What's demolished? I mean, it's not. It just means that her legacy, her personal legacy, she felt would be built up by having a child. I, I don't think. I don't think we take that literally. It's not, it's not a literal statement because of what you said, and because of other things that we know, and because of the fact that physically it's not possible for everyone to have a child. So it's not like, oh, well, in that case, boom. It just means that that's how she felt, right? That's how she felt, and that's the idea. I, I don't think, we have to look at it in context. That, that, that quick line in Rashi from the, from the Medrash, Genesis Rabbah, Bereshus Rabbah, we can't take that, I don't think we can take that you know, at face value. It means that she felt that for her, she wanted to have, you know, a child and she felt like by having the handmaid have a child, her handmaid have a child, so that would build her up. That would help, you know, build her legacy. Turns out it backfired because she felt, you know, she felt even more deflated than before and it, it literally backfired, but that was her intention. I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I, I just think it's lost in that... Uh, in that translation. Okay, so let's, so, uh, but remember this. How old is Avram when Ishmael is born? We just read, 86. 86. So again, Avram is 86. Sarai was 10 years younger than him. So she would have been 76. Hagar, I don't know how old Hagar was. Who knows? Maybe, maybe it's written somewhere. I, I just don't know the answer. So Avram has a kid with, with Hagar, and clearly there's a lot of friction there. Even after the kid's born, after Hagar goes back, it's clearly not going to be like one big happy family, like, you know, hey, kumbaya. It's clearly a, a bit of an awkward situation. Avram is probably in a very difficult position. Does he show affection to his son through Hagar, or will that offend Sarai? It's like this whole thing. Um, in general, um, you know, it's, it's surrogacy is a very... Surrogacy is a very um, tricky situation. I mean, we know all the court battles that have happened in cases of surrogates over the years, um, etc. We've done classes on that, according to halacha. You know, with um, if you have a donor egg and sperm, and it's carried by another woman, so you know, not the egg, the husband and wife. Let's say, so he gives the egg, and she, she, he gives the sperm, she gives the egg. Then it's fertilized. Then it's implanted in someone else to carry the child, to carry the, the, the embryo, the fetus, into, you know, into birth, so then who's the mother? Right? Who's the mother? It's a question of halacha. Right? It's a halacha question. Who's the mother? Who, is it the egg donor or the, the host? Right? Yeah. You go by the, you go by the genetic material or by... So anyway, there's, it's a big question, halacha. Halacha is you actually go by both, but this is not that case. This is, not, uh, this is before technology allowed you to have the egg from one and the, the womb from another. So this is just straight up hagar. But it creates all sorts of questions and complications, but that's the way it was. So now it's 13 years later. The rabbi also, yeah. I mean, if Abraham is the first Jew, but then his child... Is not Jewish. I mean, under Jewish law. Well, here's the thing. Hagar would have probably been considered Jewish at this point, because remember, conversion. What is conversion? If if uh, conversion at its core is, I want to be Jewish. That's at its yeah. core. At its core, it's embracing Judaism. Now, the reason why it's why it's more of a complicated process today, and for the last little while, is because if somebody says, "Hey, I want to be Jewish," the question is, "Well, do you know what that means?" You want to be Jewish, but 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 it, there's a lot of stuff you got. You got to no, learn. She chose it initially on her own. She chose it. So she yeah. chose it. At that point, they weren't obligated in the six thirteen mitzvot. So yeah, it was easier. It was like an easier process. Now that we have six hundred thirteen mitzvot and all the books of Jewish law and all that stuff, so now you got to know what you're getting into. So no rabbi will say, no betin will say, thumbs up, you're approved, if without knowing that the uh, that the party knows what they're getting into. So you gotta first study and then you have to start practicing and you have to start you know doing the stuff and then if you really if you really authentically genuinely want it no problem so that's really why it's more but at its core it's very simple you want to opt in you're in that's it it's just that the betin the, the jewish court the rabbinical court wants to make sure that, that that somebody knows what they're opting into in other words if when you're when you're consenting when you're checking the box have you read have you read the documents. 
You know, not there's out of self. not out of. <laughs> by the way, some of, some of some of those online forums, they won't let you put in your unless, sig- you, unless you scroll through it. So in this case, the rabbis want to make sure that you didn't just scroll through it, that you're actually knowing it, and that's, that, that explains the process. But it's not, not, so my understanding would be, again, I can't tell you for sure, but my understanding would be, yeah, probably Hagar had embraced Judy, had embraced Avram's ways, because that's why she was there, that's why she left her family in Egypt to go to Avram, and so she, she wanted that lifestyle, which means that at that point, She's Jewish. Now, does that mean that Ishmael was Jewish and, and the father of what we consider the Arabs is, is really Jewish at the core? Maybe. We also know that, that God tells Avram that your progeny, your, your legacy is not going to go through Ishmael, but rather through, well, spoiler alert, Isaac, who will later on be born to him. Um, so we know that it's going to go, the legacy is going to go not that way, but that way, and could be either direction, right? But not Jesus, through Jesus is Jew, was Jewish. He was for sure Jewish, yeah. <laughs> so we got, we got Jews everywhere. We got Jews, you know, in Islam, in Christianity. Maybe yeah. you'll talk about it in the anti-Semitism class. No one, they're not, rec- you know. Well, that's, that's a complicated story because that's some of the, uh, anyway, it will, we will talk about that. We will talk about religious tensions within anti-Semitism in that course. Ray, jump in. Um, isn't it true that nowadays um, rabbis try to discourage uh, the person that wants to convert at least three times? Well, it's only, yeah, but with the following caveat. It's not, it's not so much discouraged as, well, it is kind of discouraged. It's kind of like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, do you know how much work it's going to take? you know how much study and how much practice and how, it's like, it's like an involved process. So you try to honestly dissuade the person. You just want to present the, a clear picture of the facts that it's not a very simple, easy, glamorous, you know, like, oh, sure, just sign here and you're done. It's going to be a, it's going to be a, pro- it's going to be a thing. And you know you're signing up to a people that have historically been persecuted. So, like, are you sure? I mean, if you want to, we're happy, happy to accept, right? Obviously. The question is, do you really want it? So that's, it really comes down to the question of the rabbis, the rabbinical court representing Judaism, right? Saying, we feel comfortable that this person is legit. That's all it is. If the person's legit, no problem. But how do we know that's where the process comes in? Anyway, just to explain the process. But it's really no more, no, no more complicated than somebody saying, hey, I wanna, that's what I want to do. That's the life I want to live. Perfect. All right, just make sure that you know what it means, and, and that's it. We're done. All right, now, and of course, a little mikvah and, and all that good stuff. Now, let's get back into the text. Hold on. Yeah, so 13 years later, the following takes place. Let me toggle Rashi off here, and let's get back into our text. What happens? 13 years later, and Avram was 99 years old. Fast forward from 86 to 99. And God appeared to Avram. And God said to him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be perfect. What that means is, you're not yet perfect. I want you to be perfect. You're not yet perfect. I want you to be perfect. What does that mean? Let's continue. And I will place my covenant, my bris, Bris, brisi, my, my bris, my covenant. Covenant is bris in Hebrew. Between me and between you, and I will multiply you greatly. And Avram fell upon his face, and God spoke with him, as for, saying, God said, As for me, says God, behold, my covenant is with you. Again, bris, brisi, my, my covenant, my bris. And you shall become a father of a multitude of nations. And your name shall no longer be called Avram. Gosh, it's been so hard for me not to say his his new name, so thank God we have the change already here. Phew, I'm off the hook from trying to say Avram all the time. But your name shall be called Avraham, Abraham. Phew, all right, now we're back in the groove. Abraham, Avram. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Avraham, Avhamon Goyim. That's the, in Hebrew, it's kind of like a, an acrostic here. Av. Hamon, Avraham, Avhamon, a father of many nations. Not just the father of one, father of many nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, 
and kings will emerge from you. It's going to be a party. Okay, so that's the blessing God says. A covenant. You'll be, you, I want you to be perfect. We'll make a covenant. Change your name. But it's going to cost you something. You got to do something. And you probably know what it is. This is the mitzvah of bris milah, circumcision. And I will establish my covenant, reading 7. I will establish my covenant between me and between you, God says, and between your seed after you throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. If anyone ever says that the Jewish covenant is done, God, right, it's finished, the Jewish people are done, God, nope, God said everlasting. Everlasting means everlasting. God promises Avram, it is forever. You think De Beers teaches us that diamonds are forever? Are you kidding me? The covenant is forever. That's really forever. To be to you for a God and to your seed after you, I promise I am yours, you are mine for all time. And I will give you and your seed after you, as we know, promise of kids comes with the promise of the land of your sojournings. The entire land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. Everlasting possession. Ooh, that's important in today's day and age. That little uh, factoid right there. Lachuzat olam. This is a permanent, permanent acquisition. The land of Canaan, i.e. Israel, is yours for all time. And I will be for them, to them, sorry, for a God. And God said to Avram, and you shall keep my covenant. And you and your seed after you throughout the generations. And this is my covenant. The sign of my covenant. The covenant means the agreement. God says, I promise, you promise, we all promise. But what's the sign of the covenant? It's going to be a little bit more painful, at least for the human being, than cutting the animals, sacrificing animals and, and, and splitting them apart. This is my covenant which you shall observe between me and between you and between your seed after you. That every male among you be circumcised. This is now the covenant. The Brit Milah, we call it a Brit or a Bris. Oh, a Bris. But bris means uh, covenant. Milah is circumcision. So really we should say circumcision, milah. But we call it, most people call it a bris, a brit. Anyway, it's a sign of, 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 of the covenant. It's the covenantal sign is the circumcision. God says to Abram, you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be as the sign, as the sign of a covenant between me and between you. When is this mitzvah to be done? At the age, and at the age of eight days, every male shall be circumcised to you throughout your generations. This is an everlasting mitzvah. One that is born in the house or one that is purchased with money from any foreigner who is not your seed. If somebody, you know, a slave or a servant that lives, it's a live-in, etc., there's also mitzvah. Again, it's not, not applicable nowadays, but back in the day, that was also a thing. Those born in the house and those purchased for money shall be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh, as an everlasting covenant. So again, covenant in the flesh. As an un, sorry, and an uncircumcised male who will not circumcise the flesh of his foreskin, that soul will be cut off from its people. He has broken my covenant. So this becomes a very important mitzvah, the mitzvah of brit milah circumcision. Good. All right. So now it's a mitzvah. Eight days old. Avram was a little bit older, by the way, right? Avram was 99 when he got this mitzvah. So... He's going to have, as the guy who jumps into the pool first, it's going to be a little bit harder for him. But after that, eight days, much easier than at 99. And God said to Avram, your wife Sarai, name change, you shall not call her name Sarai, for Sarah, Sarah is her name. Sarah, here we go, we have the second name change in the last, uh, you know, several, several verses. And I will bless her. And I will give you a son from her. That's powerful. I will give you a son from her. Not just Ishmael from Hagar. I will give you, Avram, a son from Sarah. And I will bless her, and she will become a mother of nations. Kings of nations will be from her. And Avram fell on his face and rejoiced. Avram was thrilled. And he said to himself, Will a child be born to one who is 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, give birth? Is it even possible? He wasn't 100 yet, but he was almost 100. He was in his 100th year. Can a guy who is 100 and a woman who is 90, can they have kids? It's crazy. But he was beyond thrilled with that news. And Avram said to God, If only Ishmael will live before you. In other words, maybe Ishmael will give me nachas. Maybe the legacy will be with Ishmael. Maybe I don't need to have another child with Sarah. Maybe Ishmael is, is, is enough. 
And God said, no, indeed your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you shall name him Isaac. Everything is foretold here. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his seed after him. God is telling Avram, you have two sons, but it's going to be the second son born to Sarah, whose name should be Isaac or Yitzchak. That's the son through which the covenant, that covenantal chain or line will flow. So the covenant begins with you. And then I told you your children, but it's not going to go through Ishmael. It's going to go through your other son that is not yet born, Isaac, who will be born to Sarah. And regarding Ishmael, I've heard you. I understand you love your son. You love Ishmael. I've heard. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful, and I will multiply him exceedingly. He will beget 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. Uh, um, I want to stop here for a second. Does this make sense? I don't think, I don't know how it could be any clearer God's communication that Avram, your legacy will not go through Ishmael, will go through Isaac. It's black and white. It's not like, oh, the Jews claim that Avram's, uh, you know, that it goes through Isaac, but we say Ishmael. Everyone has the same Bible. Open up any King James version of the Bible to these verses. You'll see the same thing. It's all it's black and white. It's all right here. But I'm not advocating to open up the King James edition because the translation there is all over the place. Right? It's not... It's not uh, doesn't have Hebrew. <laughs> doesn't have Hebrew. Open, open up the Torah and see it's black and white. Hashem says to Avram, I'm going to give you a child from Sarah, call him Yitzchak, and he's going to be the bearer of the torch of the covenant. And Avram says, what about Yishmael? And Hashem says, I love him also. I'll bless him, he'll be successful and great and father many nations and 12 princes, blah, blah, blah. But the covenant, your legacy, my promise is going to go through it. Yitzchak, not Ishmael. Not Ishmael. That's it. Black and white. Yeah, right. Um, okay, so you mentioned that Abraham rejoiced. He was happy. And yeah. That. So was Yitzchak named Yitzchak because Sarah... Uh, didn't she overhear, she was in another tent or something, overheard that. So yes. was the name because of Abraham rejoicing or because of Sarah? Great question. It says in the Torah that it's because Sarah was laughing. So laughed. So the laughter kind of was the, Yitzchak means laughter. Tzachek means to laugh. Mitzachek means to make someone else laugh. Um, or it could be a joke. So Yitzchak means laughter. So yeah, it's, um, his name is born of laughter. His, his whole existence is born of laughter. Avram's surprise and laughter in a positive way. Sarah's surprise and laughter. I think it's more attributed to, to the mother, but you could say, you know, Avram foreshadowed that also with his response. Sure. Um, okay, let's jump back in. And God... Yeah, for sure, Leah, yeah. yeah I just, is Ishmael, is he like the father of Islam? Or yes. Like what nation? Okay. Yes, yeah. He's the father of the Arab nations. Oh, right. I don't know exactly, you know, the family tree, but generally that's, that's what we know. Ishmael is the father of, um, of the Arab nations. And it's so much more larger than us, and they're negative for the most part. A lot of, and a lot I, listen, of I, you, uh, they're, definitely, they're definitely more Muslims than Jews, that's for sure. Right, billions of Muslims and only, uh, you know, several, 10, 15 million Jews. So definitely outnumbered. But again, the idea that the Jew, that, that, that a Jew recognizes that the Abrahamic legacy, that the, 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 the covenant, the Torah is, yeah, I mean, it's a thing. It's what the Torah says. The Torah says the, the path of, of Avram is going to flow through Yitzhak, not Yishmael. It's just, it's just is what it is. And by the way, that ties into the land also. I'm sorry if I'm not if I, if I fail to make that connection, um, if I fail to spell it out. It's like the whole question about the land of Israel and who it belongs to. God clearly says, Avram, it's going to go to your descendants, the ones who carry on your legacy. And then he says the legacy will go through Yitzchak. So that's a clear thing. The problem is, and this is more for the anti-Semitism course, which we're going to talk about, 
anti-Israel, is it anti-Semitism or not? And it's, it's, it's a big debate nowadays. Ben and Jerry had a video a few days ago, whatever, this whole thing. The Here's the point. Here's the point. The, the, and I'll speak about this in the course. I don't want to take too much time away now and, and take too much away from then. Um, but the reality is that we haven't been telling the truth. We, as a people, have not been telling the truth. And it's coming back to bite us. Because we made up a whole story. We said as sympathy stories, like, well, the Holocaust, we need a place to be safe. So we need a land. That's not, that's not the truth. That's not the reason why we have, that's not the reason why Israel is ours. That's not the reason, because of the Holocaust. The reason is because Hashem said to Avram, I'm going to give you and your children this land. And that flows through Yitzchak and through Yaakov, and that's the Jewish people. That's it. That's it. But Israel was chosen because of, I mean, Holocaust, Israel, because... Right? I'm not saying it doesn't have value insofar as that's concerned. But the problem is when that becomes the entire rationale, then you have young people, young people that I know, that are now teenagers and college students that are not in a victim mentality. They don't think about the Holocaust. It's irrelevant. And they say Jews are fine. We don't need Israel. All we're doing is oppressing Palestinians. That's the narrative. Right. Because what happened was we lied. We said, give us the land because we need a safe place. As opposed to saying, it's actually our land. Anyway, again, this is for a different class. I'm sorry for interjecting this in a different class. So then Ishmael left Israel. So that's one reason why maybe, too, that we're smaller. Because, I mean, Israel's small, right? I don't know. Anyway, whatever. Well, let's, let's leave this conversation. I feel like I, I opened up a door, and now it's like, whoa, there's all this stuff. Anyway, it, th there's a lot that I need to explain about what I just said. So let's put it aside. Come back for the anti-Semitism course in a few weeks, two weeks. We're doing that course. We'll speak about Israel then and about the nuances over there, and we'll have a conversation about this well, you're then. Still on the triple pack, right? I can register for the triple pack. Yeah, it's on the website. Yeah, yeah, triple pack. Yeah, for sure. It's the best way to do it. All right, back inside, back inside. Clearly, the legacy is going through Yitzchak, and let's pick it up here. And, uh, and God finished speaking with Avram, and God went up from above Avram, and Avram took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house, and all those purchased with money, every male of the people of Avram's household, and he circumcised the flesh of, the force, of their foreskin on that very day. Avram did like a mass circumcision. Everyone, come one, come all. Bris milah, circumcision, as God had spoken with him. And Avram was, as you know, 99 years old when he was circumcised of the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, who was born when Avram was 86, 13 years prior, yeah, Ishmael was 13 years old. By the way, the Arab tradition is they get circumcised at the age of 13 in commemorance of their, of, of their patriarch Ishmael. This is legit. Arabs get circumcised. Yeah, Arabs get circumcised. The, the Arab custom is 13, yeah. At least, at least it used to be. I don't know if it's a modern, I don't know if they changed in modern times, but that certainly used to be the custom. Throughout, rabbinic literature talks about it at length, that the, the Arab culture does it at 13. Whether it's still today, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, you can Google it and see. I don't know. Um, but that's at least what, what had been done for generations. Maybe it ended. Who knows? Um, so Ishmael was 13 years old when he was, when he was circumcised of the flesh of his foreskin. On that very day, Avram was circumcised, and so was Ishmael his son. And all the people of his household, those born in, in his house and those bought with money from foreigners, Everyone were, they were all circumcised with him on that day. There was this great covenantal sign of the circumcision done. By the way, who was the first person in history to get circumcised at eight days old? Like the, the mitzvah is, is, is ideally done? That is Isaac, Yitzchak, which we'll read about next week. Yitzchak, Yitzchak is the first person after this mitzvah is given to be circumcised at the ripe young age of eight days, eight days old. Okay, that takes us to the end of the Torah portion, and it's a little bit later than I would, would have liked, but let's do the half Torah. Yeah, you guys ready for this? We're going to have to, we're going to go through it quickly because uh, I have a little bit of some time constraints on my end. So we'll go through it fairly quickly at a, at a, at a nice clip, and, but I want to introduce it. So the half Torah that we're going to read 
comes once again from the book of Isaiah. A lot of, a lot of half Torahs come from Isaiah. So this one comes from Isaiah. And it talks about the Jewish mission being like the mission of Avram, like Abraham's mission. Right? Just like Avram's mission was to bring monotheism and godliness into the world, our mission is also like that. The Jewish mission is to be a light into the nations, to bring inspiration to the world, to make the world a brighter place. Everyone's part of that mission as well, but the Jewish mission specifically is to be that light unto the world, and that's what we're going to read about in the Haftar. So let me share my screen. And, and Avram will even be mentioned by name. Okay, so you'll see it. And you'll see why it was chosen to be the Haftarah for this Torah portion. The one that we read about the, 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 the mission, the life and mission of, of Avram, right? Because God tells Avram, Lech Lecha, go out and spread the word. And that's in the Torah portion. And that's what Haftarah deals with as well. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27. Why should you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way has been hidden from the Lord and, my, and from my God my judgment passes. Why do you think, basically, that you can hide from God? Verse 28, do you not know, if you have not heard, an everlasting God is the Lord, the creator of the, of the ends of the earth? He neither tires nor wearies. There is no fathoming his understanding. In other words, <coughs> don't think that my way is hidden from the Lord. Don't think that my judgment is, is, is finished. God is not going to judge. No, God doesn't get tired. God doesn't get weary. God, and God is beyond what we can understand. Who gives the tired strength? Sorry. Who gives the tired God is the one who gives strength to those who are tired. And to him who has no strength, God increases strength. Now youths shall become tired and weary and young men shall stumble. But those who put their hopes in the, who put their hope in the Lord shall renew their vigor. Look at this. Youth shall become tired and weary, young men shall stumble. That's a reference to living a life of you know, recklessness and no accountability and no responsibility. So the living life, what we, what, what's called in society to the fullest, you know, like living just a materialistic life and just do whatever feels good, that eventually gets tired. That, that, gets, um, that runs its course. You shall become tired and weary, and young men shall stumble. Eventually, it's like, ay, this is self-destructive. I don't like this anymore. This is not fun. This is not healthy. But those who put their hope in the Lord, when we have a spiritual connection, they are the ones that shall renew their vigor. They shall raise wings as eagles. They shall run and not weary. They shall walk and not tire. The true strength lies in our spiritual connections and convictions. So when we spend our time at running after material pursuits, it becomes an unending game of pursuit. It doesn't end. It never finishes. It, 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 it's, just, it's, it's just an endless pursuit of stuff. Just think about consumerism. I got to buy more and more and more and latest trends and latest fashions and latest... Uh, doesn't end. Become tired. It becomes exhausting to keep up with all that. But what about when we instead say, you know what, forget about that stuff. Yeah, I'll have what to wear, what to eat, where to live, and what to drive, or whatever, sure. Ah, but my focus will be on spiritual pursuits, on Hashem, on purpose, on Torah, mitzvot. That gives a person a sense of meaning, an anchor in this world, a sense of purpose, a sense of direction. You wake up every day encouraged, not discouraged. You wake up every day with energy, not depleted. Instead of waking up and saying, oh yeah, another day with the rat, ra rat race, you wake up saying, another day to make the world a better place. So that's what the prophet encourages us in these first few verses. In the first five verses of the Haftorah, the message is, plug into God. It's good for you. Next, chapter 41. Be silent to me, your, you islands, and kingdoms shall renew their strength. They shall approach, then they shall speak together to judgment. Let us draw near. So we're talking here about the idea. Let's see what Rashi says actually here on this one. Yeah, islands means heathens, nations. 
Yeah. In other words, the nations representative of, of, of like a different path, of a materialistic, a hedonistic path. Yeah, together in judgment, let us draw near. Let us uh, take accountability here of, of whether that's a good, a good path. Who aroused from the east the one whom righteousness accompanied? Who called the one from the east? That's a reference to Avram, to Abraham. Abraham came from the east. Remember, he came from the east and went to the land of Canaan, went westward to, to Israel. So who aroused from the east the one whom righteousness accompanied? That's a reference to Avram, who walked with God, walked with righteousness. He placed nations before him and kings, and over kings he gave him dominion. In other words, God gave nations to him, and over kings he gave him dominion. Remember how Avram in this week's Torah portion slew the four nations? Remember that? Remember Avram was able to be victorious over, five, over, over four kings? Right? God brought him from the east, this man who was filled with righteousness. God placed the nations in his hands, gave him dominion over kings. God made his sword like dust, his bow like windblown stubble. Abraham pursued them and passed on safely on a path upon which he had not come with his feet. Who worked and did, who caused the generations from the beginning, I the Lord am first, and with the last ones I am he. I am the one who called Avram, who was part of this incredible journey and mission. The islands, the nations shall see and fear, the ends of the earth shall quake, they have approached and come. Each one shall aid his fellow and to his brother he shall say, strengthen yourself. And the craftsman strengthened the smith, the one who smooths with the hammer, strengthened the one who wields the sledgehammer. He says of the cement it is good, and he strengthened it with nails, that it should not move. Right? That's what each, each one does. Everyone does their thing. But you, my servant, you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham who loved me, whom I grasped from the ends of the earth. And from its nobles I called you, and I said to you, you are my servant. I chose you, and I did not despise you. So while the world pursues materialism, God says, you chose me and I chose you, right? You whom I've chosen and you are the seed of Abraham. Again, the connection to Avram is here. I chose you and I did not despise you. Do not fear for I am with you. Be not discouraged for I am your God. I encourage you. I also helped you. I also supported you with my righteous hand. Behold, all those incensed against you shall be ashamed and confounded. Those who quarreled with you shall be as not and be lost. You may seek them, but not find them, those who quarrel with you. Those who war with you shall be as not and as nothing. In other words, ultimately the blessing is, here is the promise of the prophecy, is that you'll look for enemies you won't find because everyone will be on board with you. That's a good prophecy. That's a good promise. A world in which there are no enemies, that's a good thing. A world in which there's no anti-Semitism, that's a good thing. For I, the Lord... Your God grasp your right hand, who says to you, Fear not, I help you. God says, I'm with you. Fear not, O worm of Jacob, the number of Israel. I have helped you, says the Lord, and your Redeemer, and your Redeemer the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I have made you a new groomed threth... Whoa, I can't even pronounce this. Behold, I have made you a new grooved threshing sledge with sharp points. What does that mean? You shall thresh the mountains and crush them fine, and you shall make hills like chaff. That means bring down the, 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 um, the, the palaces of materialism. Knock down the structures of hedonism. Knock down material pursuits and, and idolatry. Knock everything down to the ground. Crush them. Make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them and a wind shall carry them off. In other words, minimize the opposition and then the wind will blow away the dust and a tempest shall scatter them and you shall rejoice with the Lord. With the Holy One of Israel shall you praise yourself. This, this phrase, it's very poetic, went through it quickly once again due to lack of time, but I hope, what's, I hope, what's, I hope it's clear. The Haftorah opens, as I said before, with a, an admonition against falling into the trap of materialism. Don't live your life pursued downward looking at stuff and looking at things. Look up to something higher. Then it talks about the idea of the nations versus Israel. The nations of the world, again, it's not a, it's a broad brush, whatever, but he's saying the nations of the world, you know, who serve idols and have other foreign worship and run after all sorts of things. All right, so that's their thing. But you have a different path. And when did that path begin? When I brought the guy from the east, and that is Abraham. 
Um, Rashi hopefully should say this, yes. Look at this, Rashi says, who aroused from the east, one whom righteousness accompanied, who aroused Abraham to bring him from Aram, which is in the east. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's, it's a reference to Abraham. What God is saying is, the nations of the world have their own way of doing things, but I have given you an, a different destiny. I've given you a different way of living. From Abraham, I brought Abraham to share with the world higher values, monotheism, higher purpose, higher meaning, higher living. Connecting with a higher self, not a lower self. And this becomes our heritage. And ultimately, at the end of the Aftar, the promise is that with the, whatever, the threshing sledge, which I don't know what that is, but I'm just picturing some sort of device with spikes to, to, to tear down, you know, mountains of, of earth. The idea is to tear down the earthliness, to bring down the materialism itself, to knock it down a little bit so that we can discover the spirituality. So... The Jewish mission is clear, and that is to bring godliness into the world, to minimize the obsession with materialism, and to make the world a better place. Not exclusive to the Jewish people, but certainly a, 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 a part of the Jewish mission. Plus, we study a lot more than all the... That's the thing, too, that's right? It. Yeah, I mean, it could be... Yeah, the Torah, I mean, that's studying. Yeah, we have, yeah, we have it. We have a calling. Listen, the, the point is... I, I would say it's less than what we're doing and more of what we're supposed to do. Because we, we, it could be a Jew who's not doing it, and it could be someone who's not Jewish who is doing it. So I don't know if it's, if it's more or less, but there's, there's, a, there's a mandate. We have a calling. The calling is do this. Whether or not we're doing it, that's, that's every individual looks in the mirror and says, am I today? Did today's day unfold in a very physical way, in a materialistic way, or... Was it a day of, of higher spirituality? Was it a day of purpose and meaning? That's the question. So, so I think that's the important focus. The focus is on what is my day going to consist of? Am I just layering earth on top of earth and making the mountain of physicality bigger? Or am I tearing down the mountain and saying, enough, enough, enough. Let's do something more noble. Let's do something higher. And that's, that's each of us, how we live our lives and how we create our families and our communities and we shape our neighborhoods and our cities and our countries. That's what it comes down to. And the proof is in the pudding, right? Look around. Do we live in a world, in a society, in which spirituality is, is, is put on a pedestal or materialism? I would argue there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do, right? There's the other stuff gets a lot of uh, play, a lot of mountains built, a lot of... Uh, um, edifices built to, to, to worship materialism. But our calling is something a little bit higher. All right. And that calling begins when God brought that guy from the east to begin the journey. And that's Avram. And that's why this is the Haftorah for Lech Lecha. Because that's when God calls him from the east to begin the journey. So the Torah portion talks about the origins of the Jewish journey. And the Haftorah references the Jewish journey in the prophet's call to the people to embrace the mission and live that life. So let's live that life. Let's take that inspiration to Shabbos. Let's make this Shabbos a spiritual day, a day of meaning and spirituality and light, less focused on the mundane and more focused on the spiritual. All right, wishing everybody a lightful Shabbos. Shabbat Shalom and see you next week. But an important scheduling announcement. On Monday, I will not be in town so, no DPP. Not virtual, not in person. So, no Zoom and no Peachy Parsha. We're off for a week. Please, God, we'll pick up the following week on Monday. We'll be back in person with the hybrid. the whole week? Whole no, 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 no. Not the whole oh. week. Not the whole week. Just oh. Monday. Monday. Just Monday. I'm actually traveling Sunday and Monday. I'm taking my son to New York for the Bar Mitzvah boy for his first being called to the Torah, first Aliyah to the Torah, in Crown Heights in 770 in the Rebbe Shul. That's going to happen on, um, on Monday morning. So we're leaving Sunday morning. We'll be there through Monday afternoon. That's his Hebrew birthday. His Hebrew birthday is Sunday. So he'll be 13 on Sunday. So Monday he'll get his Aliyah, and then we'll come back. We'll be back in Atlanta. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we sh should be back. Friday, maybe. 
because the bar mitzvah will be in a few hours on Friday, so it's touch and go, but we'll already, we'll, we'll have plenty of time to converse by next week. So, what's important about the schedule? No Kabbalah and coffee on Sunday, and no DPP, Pichi Parsha, on Monday, on Monday at noon. But we have a class Monday night, we have a class Tuesday day, we have a class Tuesday, wait, Tuesday night is the event, is the event with Judge Fryer. Wednesday is full slate, Thursday is full slate, and we carry on from there. All right. Wishing everybody a Shabbat Shalom. Take care, and we'll see you guys soon. Lots of blessings. Bye, guys.